Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, you called the church to be the bride of Christ and to listen always to the voice of the bridegroom. Anoint our hearts with the oil of joy that we may serve you in righteousness and sing your praise now and forever. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 45. For the choir director, according to Lilies, by the sons of Korah, a Hill, a love song. My heart is bubbling over with a beautiful theme. I am reciting my works for the king. My tongue is the pen of a rapid writer. You are the most beautiful of the sons of Adam. Grace is poured out on your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Strap your sword on your thigh, you mighty warrior, in your splendor and in your majesty. In your majesty, advance successfully. Ride forward in the cause of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharpened. Let peoples fall beneath you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than any of your companions. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume, all your garments. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored attendants. The royal wife stands at your right hand in gold from Ophir. Hear, O daughter, look and listen. Forget your people and your father's house, because the king desires your beauty. Because he is your lord, bow down to him. Then the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The richest people will seek your favor. The princess who wait inside is all glorious. Her dress is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Virgins who follow her as attendants are brought to you. They are brought with joyful celebration. They enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will preserve the memory of your name through all generations. Therefore, people will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of our Lord. This psalm begins by what appears to be a tune that is lost in history. For the choir director in accordance with lilies. You can guess by the title that it was probably a flowery tune. This is clearly the imagery of a wedding. In fact, we're told it's a mosque which is a psalm for teaching and instructing, and it's a song of loves, literally loves, because God's love for you is more than just one, it's one big love, but it's all different kinds of facets. It's about his bride, the church, and what he's done to make the wedding happen and address her. And so the psalmist says in the first verse, my heart is gushing out a good narrative. I am telling my works about a king. My tongue is the pen of a masterful scribe. He's writing out real quickly what's going on, yet with skill. This isn't sloppy handwriting. He can't keep in this story about this king and this royal wedding. We're told who that king is when we're told, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy and gladness. This is God himself. We know who this is because when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove and God the Father spoke and let us know in case we doubt it, this was pre-incarnate God because he says, this is my son. And the only way God can have a true son is if that son is God. With him, I am well pleased. And so that baptism of our Lord leaves us no doubt 
that the King of Kings is Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. And so our sermon theme today is, as we celebrate the anointing of our Lord, see the kingly glory of the royal groom, see the glory He's given to His bride, and see the glory He's given to His children. Now, even though this is a flowery tune, even though this is about a wedding, this begins with a champion and a ride out into battle. The second verse tells us, you are the most attractive of the sons of man. Grace has been poured into your lips. This is evidence that God has blessed you forever. Now, Isaiah, in the big messianic prophecy in chapters 52 and 53, lets us know that there was nothing to attract us to him. This is imagery. In the attraction, what makes him the most handsome of all the sons of men is stated, grace has been poured, and we'd really say into your lips. It's an event that has already happened. Grace is in his mouth. And just as the psalmist says, his heart is boiling out, he can't keep this psalm in, Jesus could not keep his grace in. Constantly announcing the forgiveness of sins. Constantly showing his love. Even as they're crucifying him, grace comes out of his lips that have been poured in. As he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is evidence that, that God has blessed him forever. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the prophet, priest, and king. And his baptism makes it clear for us, this is the one who has all the skills and everything needed to save us by being prophet, priest, and king. But sometimes we make Jesus out to be this big old sissy. This guy who, when he was slapped, would just, like a sissy, turn around and be like, oh, that was so mean of you. We forget the times when Jesus makes a whip at the beginning of his public ministry after being anointed and clears out the temple in the very last week of his life here on earth when they'd again returned and were making a business out of the temple. Jesus makes a whip and clears them out. Jesus is not a sissy, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's full of grace, but he is a champion. And the psalmist says here in verse 3, Strap your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, which is your magnificence and your grandeur. Jesus is a man, and he's a gentle man full of grace. But he's true God. And he's full of holiness. His majesty and his grandeur. That's his law and his gospel. That's his grace, his holiness. That's the fact that he is true God from beginning to end who has taken on human flesh. And he straps the sword on his side by taking on our human flesh. Scripture often refers to his tongue as a sword and his tongue is his word, which is law and gospel. And so the psalmist continues, And in your grandeur proceed, mount and ride on behalf of the case for truth, humility, and righteousness. The devil told a lie. God's withholding something from you. You're not like God, even though Adam and Eve were. They knew good from evil by not having done evil, but knowing what it is, as God does. God has never done evil. And then, when they bought into the devil's line, they fell. The world fell into a lie. Each child then was born in sin, with a sinful nature. And the great lie of this world is... That if you're going to get right with God, you'd better do it by the strength of your own hands, denying the fact that you neither earn nor deserve it. Jesus rides out on the case for humility. If you think you can earn your own salvation or think you deserve it, you have not been crushed by the law. 
God, who became true man, showed us humility in the fact that as true God, He's willing to hang naked on that cross. But there He does a wonderful battle for us. There He defeats the devil. There He defeats death for us and defeats our sin. Righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that save us. It is His holiness. And so He goes out to battle for those so that He can give those for you. And the psalm continues, Let your right hand bring about your pointing out fearful things. Literal translation of the Hebrew. Fearful things. Those are things that cause fear as we look at God's righteousness and His holiness. But as believers, they're also things that cause reverent awe. Wow! God's miracles, when He suspends the natural rules by which He normally governs and conducts business in this world, if you will. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we too still need to have the miracles pointed out to us by our strong champion. Do you know it's a miracle you're here this morning? Do you know that it's a miracle that you believe in Jesus? We're celebrating the baptism of our Lord. If God didn't tell us it was a miracle in which He seals the Holy Spirit in our heart, we would deny it. In fact, we would foolishly turn around and say, no, no, this is where I say, look what I'm doing for you, God. Instead of realizing this is when God makes me His child. When He puts His wedding ring on me as His bride, the church. When He gives birth to my faith. And so He continues... Your arrows are sharpened. The peoples will fall beneath you in the heart of the king's enemies. That middle section there, the peoples fall beneath you, is almost parenthetical. Your arrows are sharpened. You've got a sword and you've got sharp arrows. So people die when you go. And what dies? It's one of two things. Because God's word is either hardening a heart or softening a heart. Only his arrows can do that. Those who continually reject the grace that's been poured into his mouth that constantly comes out, God will finally say, fine, have it your way. From here on out, my word will only make your heart cold and dead to me. But for others, and that's you and I, the miracle has happened. His heart, his law and his gospel have pierced our heart. It's crushed us. We know we need a savior and it's assured us we have one for the Holy Spirit has entered our heart and make us believers. And so he says in the heart of the king's enemies. Like it or not, all mankind is God's enemy until God sends forth the arrow of His Holy Spirit working through the Word. The devil one time thought he could defeat God. Sometimes we wonder what happens if the devil gets in a sucker punch. But verse 6 assures us again, this is a champion nobody can defeat. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of justice is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus is not some sissy who rules, who can be tricked or overthrown. He's a victorious champion. And when he's placed you in his kingdom, the only thing that's going to get you out of his kingdom is if you vehemently reject being in his kingdom. Nobody's going to dethrone him. And that is such a comfort for you and I. And so he continues, you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Now, because he hates wickedness, he has to destroy our wickedness. Because he loves you, he's given you his righteousness, which is the wedding dress that we wear. And so he continues, Therefore God your God anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Anointing often was the marking that you begin an office. And that's exactly when Jesus was baptized and anointed with the Holy Spirit. God said, this is it. He, and, he, and Jesus began his public ministry. This is the Savior. But here there's something more to it. A parent who sees the child they've shared the word of God with grow up to be a Christian and remain in the faith, knows joy. 
You, when you share the word of God with a co-worker or a neighbor and see that word embraced and you know somebody you love has been spared from the fires of hell, you know joy. The angels rejoice when one sinner is converted. But Jesus, who actually is the one who empowers the one who won salvation for us, has the ultimate joy. We are merely his mouthpieces. And so he's anointed with joy more than we would be the companions here. We have the privilege of sharing the word of God, but he's the one who has all the power and the utmost joy as he makes us his brides. And so now we're told as we look at the wedding being prepared, he's now been anointed for it. And we're told myrrhs, aloes and cassia are all your garments. These were colognes, if you will, or perfumes. They gave off a wonderful, pleasant aroma. Christ's righteousness, his love, his grace. He's a victorious, strong champion, but for you and I, he's a wonderful smell that covers over the stench of our sin. From palaces of ivory, stringed instruments make you glad. Jesus has the eternal throne. His palace is wonderful. The palace that's been given to us because he is our king. And we, in turn, we, when our good works, they don't save us, but our good works are the stringed instruments that make Jesus glad. There are I love you's back to our Lord. And so we're told, daughters of kings are among your prestigious ladies. The royal wife is positioned at your right hand in gold from Ophir. Suddenly we go from this strong champion to the wedding day. We see the bridal line up there, standing there next to our Lord. So we see so far as we celebrate the anointing of our Lord that made it clear, He's the Savior, He's our prophet, priest, and king. We see the kingly glory of the royal Groom, But now we start transitioning. We're going to focus a little bit on that bride. We see she's been brought to him. The victorious champion, he had to win this for her. You and I are members of the church, which is his bride. It's the invisible church. We were like a dirty prostitute, a drug addict, lying in the gutter, in our blood, in our disease, and in our addiction. He came. He picked us up. He took our blood out and gave us His blood, removing our disease. He won the victory. He paid the price to put us in our wedding dress. What should be our response for that? Verse 10 says, Hear, O daughter, and look and extend your ear, and forget your people and your father's house. I've counseled couples as a pastor where either he or she does not know the meaning of, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. A budding in mother-in-law, a budding in father-in-law who don't know it's time to cut the apron strings can sure create a problem. To the Jews, that would be the ceremonial laws that were meant to be a babysitter. It's time to recognize that you're an adult who have a savior and has Christian freedom. To the Gentiles... It would mean giving up those pagan gods and not looking back to them, but trusting, not in earning your own salvation, but trusting in Jesus. For you and I, it means giving up work righteousness and saying we've got to earn this and recognizing God has loved us and made us lovable. For you and I, it means giving up the things of this world when they interfere with our faith, giving them the proper place and recognizing their gifts from God, they themselves are not God. We forget the things. Our top priority in everything has to be our Savior. And the amazing thing is when we do that, He blesses our relationship with our spouse and with our children as well. 
And so we're told, for the king desires your beauty, since he is your Lord, bow down to him. Now, what is the beauty of the bride? It's Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's grace that's been given to her. He's made her beautiful. This is unlike the regular love story in which a couple finds somebody they have something in common with. Christ has made you beautiful and he desires you. How wonderful it is to hear. Why did God save you? Because his mouth is full of grace. And it's not that you deserve it, but he simply desired you and made you beautiful. Since he is your Lord, bow down to him. We don't worship our material possessions. We don't worship the things of this world. We don't worship the greatest God of all, our own ego, our own selfishness. We recognize, and we do this out of love. With all the love that's been poured on us, how can we not say, I love you? And that is how we worship the Lord. We're told, and also the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift, and the wealthy among the people will seek your favor. Tyre was the capital of Phoenicia. The Phoenicians were seafaring people. They lived to the northwest of Israel. This was a port in which things came from other seaports from the sea. The picture here is... All the world pouring its gifts into the invisible church as Christ makes each individual one of them his bride, a member of the invisible church. And the wealthy among the people will seek your favor. Christians, for example, did not invent the Codex, which is a bound book. But when unbelievers who had and knew how to use these became members of the church, they brought their gifts. And because they were in love with their Savior, because they were in love with that invisible church of all believers, they said, hey, it's easier for us to read this if we cut these scrolls up and bind them together into a book and we can actually carry this thing around. The natural gifts God has given you have made you wealthy in God's eyes and the spiritual gifts and you pour them into the invisible church because you love the Lord and it seeks the Lord's favor. This is why we play. This is why we sing. This is why we clean. This is why we shovel snow. We're pouring our wealth in out of thanks for all the blessings God gives us through the church of which we are members, which is his bride. And so we're told within the daughter of the king is all glorious. Yes, when we see the church visible, she's ugly. She's killed her own believers. She's done foolish things, but that's the visible church, which even has hypocrites of it. But the invisible church, which is made up of all believers, it has Christ's righteousness. What can't be seen with the eye is beautiful and glorious because Christ has made her so. Her dress is interwoven with gold. That's Christ's righteousness given to you. He's put his, his wedding dress on you. And in embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Now, we're, once again, we're picturing that wedding day, but then we're told... Bridal virgins following behind her as her companions are brought to you. The idea of, you know, the little wedding dresses with the long train and somebody, the, 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 the people who hold that up so it's not dragging. Here you're the bride, but you're also the brighter attendant. They're not brought to the bride, they're brought to the king. They work in service to the king. So far we've seen as we celebrate the anointing of our Lord, we see the kingly glory of our royal groom, but we also see the glory he's given to his bride. But now we start focusing more on you and I as individual members that make up that bride. We're told they're entering into the palace of the king. God has reached out. He's made you his bride, part of the invisible church, but he's worked specifically for you as if you were the only bride that mattered. And so in verse 16, we're told in place of your fathers will be your sons. You will make them into princes in all the land. You are members of a royal priesthood. I'm not a pastor because my dad was a pastor and I inherited his position. In fact, my dad wasn't even a pastor. 
You are not believers because you inherited your parents, all right? No, they may have shared their faith with you. But God takes each one of us and he says, you can forget. Forget about the work that the prophets, and not obviously denying the word of the Lord. I've given you something special. I've made you priests. When you pronounce the forgiveness of sins, I'm working through you. I've given you power and authority. I've given you the binding and loosing keys. Not to be used to your greed, but to be used as part of my invisible church. And so the psalmist himself who began the psalm saying, my heart's boiling over with the royal theme says, I will cause your name to be remembered through all generations. Literally by the inspiration of writing it down, he has done that generation after generation. And we know that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Christ, the Messiah, which means anointed. God made that clear to us when Jesus came to his baptism. That was his anointing. And so we know that his name represents everything he does for us. And we remember that by trusting that he's doing it for us. So he wraps up this psalm saying, Therefore, people will praise you forever and ever. Whenever you share the grace of God, whenever you share your love with God, you're functioning as that priest and sharing that. Yes, it's clear that you and I are not our Savior. We are not the strong, victorious champions who cannot be defeated. Christ's baptism has validated our baptisms in which He sealed His Holy Spirit in our heart, in which He put the wedding ring on us. And so today, through Psalm 45, we celebrate the anointing of our Lord, we see the kingly glory of our royal groom. We see the glory he's given to his bride. And we see you and I as individual members are the bride as we see the glory he's given to us as his children, which is the priesthood of all believers, the binding and loosing key that we get to share the good news of salvation with others and rejoice as Jesus does as they come into faith. Amen. Now may the Lord our God be with us, just as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways. Amen.